Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. And what we're looking at is that throughout the book of John, there are seven major statements that Jesus made, all beginning with the phrase, I am. And this was a play on the Old Testament. Basically, God was known as the great I am or the self-existent one. When Moses asked, who are you exactly? He says, I am that I am. And that was kind of like this big, huge statement. And so Jesus shows up and he's basically letting the whole world know that he was God. So occasionally you'll find a boneheaded uh, person that looks at the Bible and makes a weird claim like, well, Jesus never actually said that he was God. That's No, he did. I promise. It's everywhere. Because he was a Jewish guy and he was playing on all kinds of Jewish knowledge and Jewish idioms. He was a Jewish rabbi. And so this is, why do you think they tried to kill him? And that's just a great example of like, yeah, I promise you he really did claim to be God because they wanted to kill him for it. And that's the way they understood what he was saying. And when he made these seven I am statements, they were bold because they were basically divisive in a sense that you either had to like, okay, no, he's God. I think that's the real deal. Or you had to think he was a, a blasphemer. And so these I am statements are huge. And so he shows up at a guy's funeral, brings him back to life. And he says, I am the resurrection. He goes to another place and he feeds 5,000 people. And he goes, actually, though, you just had a happy meal, but I'm the bread of life. Not what I fed you, but I am the bread of life. He, he has these unique experiences where he really reveals who he is. Because not only does he want you to know that he is God, but he wants you to know how you relate to God. I'll give you an example. You, in your sin, apart from God, it's like being dead. You are lifeless, but Jesus says, I am resurrection, meaning wherever I am, things come back to life. You're hungry in life, like your soul is unsatisfied, but it's actually Jesus that will satisfy the longing of your soul. That's how you relate to God. This is why people walk through life feeling empty and unsatisfied. It's because when you look for other things in this world to satisfy you, you, you end up leaving empty. But Jesus is the substance that satisfies. Last week, we looked at probably the oddest one, which he said this. He goes, I am the door or I am the gate. And it was this idea that, in essence, that that he plays on this big, huge analogy. And we'll get to it today because the next I am statement is literally in the same context and in the same group of verses. But he's playing on a big analogy of sheep and shepherd. Now, what did we learn about sheep last week? Yeah, sheep done. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad you guys remember. Everybody took notes, very detailed notes. Uh, sheep are, are sheep are dumb. And so what we're going to look at today is that he was the gate that literally they would have these pens out in the wilderness. The sheep would bring, or the shepherd would bring the sheep into the pens. And then the shepherd would literally lay down into the doorway or into the gateway and be the gate. And he was basically saying, nothing's coming in unless it comes through me. But also, you're not getting out unless you get through me. And this was this idea that Jesus wants to be your protector from predators, from thieves, from robbers, and, from robbers, and even protect you from yourself. And we'll see this even play out further. Is because sheep are, well, she, you said it. Not the brightest in the world. And we'll see that again today. So if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 10. Let's jump right back in. Because last week we read the first nine verses where he said, I am the gate and I am the door. But in these next verses, he says this. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not a shepherd and he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock 
and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Let's pray this morning. So God, we pray that as we look at these scriptures and many more to come, that God, we would just... Our mind would be open. Our heart would be open, God. That that we would see you differently, God. That we would follow you more closely, Lord God. That you would do something unique in us today. Speak to us today, Lord God. Help us to walk out of this place different than the way that we walked in, Lord God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So I am... The good shepherd. Now, he does this comparison to the hired hand. And how many know, like, you got to be careful when you have a hired hand. There's a difference between um, how you would run your business and then how, like, you know, the employees might run the business. There's a difference between, let, let, me, let me put it like this. How many know when you own the car and you worked hard for that down payment, you worked hard to pay for that car, that that car is more important to you than when you get a rental car? Why? It's it's the difference of ownership. The way you treat a thing is different when you own it. How many know, like, you know, other other people's kids? But my kids, I care more about my kids. And so there's a difference of ownership. And Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. Now, Now, again, this analogy of sheep and shepherd is all throughout the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, it's everywhere. As a matter of fact, it's... It was such a big deal. I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I used to be a bit of an actor um, and, and was in plays. Because when I was eight years old, uh, my mom put me in the church play. And we actually did a play based on this whole analogy of, of sheep and, and shepherd. It was, as a matter of fact, the play was called We Like Sheep. We like sheep, like we're like sheep, but then we are sheep. I don't know how it was, but we literally were little eight-year-olds, and they had these big sheep costumes, and I was in a sheep costume, and my name was Grimy. And, and there's a story, there's a parable that Jesus tells about, like, Jesus, like, the shepherd has 99, and he loses one, and he goes looking for the one. I was the one. They, they, they cast me as Grimy, the rebel, and I was rebellious. I had these rebellious little lines, like, I don't care what the shepherd says. Bump that. You know, I was, I, I don't know if I said that, but I was, you know, I, I was grimy. And, and as a matter of fact, th- there was a song, we like sheep, we like sheep, we like sheep because sheep is what we are. And that was our song. There was another song that was like, um, no matter how bad we are, the shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd loves us. And so, so I want you to know, like, the river runs deep in this analogy is my, is my point, like. That, that, so like churches have been talking about sheep and shepherd and Jesus was talking about sheep and shepherd. As a matter of fact, there's this, there's this story that I read. Um, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that you can go tour Israel. You have tour guides. You go on buses. You literally take like multiple different ways you can travel through the Holy Land, different sites that you can see. And, and of course, you know, when you're going through the countryside, there's still sheep hanging out in, in Israel, modern Israel today. And, and the, the tour guides, you know, they, they play on anything. And so, like, they're like, hey, look, do you see the, the sheep? And then they want to tell you the history of the sheep and the shepherd and the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And it, it really is that way. Like, no, they hear the shepherd's voice and they follow him. And the, the shepherd cares for them. And they start describing all these ways. And so there's the story of this one tour guide. He's got a bus full of people and he sees a, a field full of sheep and he starts giving them the whole sheep-shepherd analogy and the shepherd loves and the shepherd cares and does all these things for it. And they're like, look, and they, they, he, said, he said, this is what happened though. He said the guy that was out in the field with them was literally chasing them and beating them with a stick and throwing rocks at them. 
And he's like, I'm trying to like give like everybody this beautiful, like godly biblical picture of a shepherd loving their sheep. He's literally sicking the dog on them. They're hitting the sheep with sticks. And, 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 and he's so mad. He said, I jumped out of the bus and I went to go like rebuke that guy. And he said, I got there. I said, what are you doing? This isn't, I'm up there telling these people that shepherd love their sheep and you're out here beating them and hurting them and abusing them. And what are you doing out here? And the guy's like confused, like, why are you yelling at me? And finally, he's like, whoa, whoa stop. So, dude, you got it all wrong. I'm not a shepherd. I'm the butcher. These sheep, these sheep are going. So, so there's a difference between a shepherd and a hireling. There's definitely a difference between a shepherd and a butcher, Okay. Two different worldviews, two different ways of thinking, but the Bible continually speaks of this idea of sheep and shepherd. Literally, there's a moment where Jesus goes and it, it, it describes him kind of being on a hillside overlooking Jerusalem, and he says he weeps, and it says that he, he saw the people and he wept for them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Like, this was a big, big deal in the Old Testament. I mean, this is, this is all laced throughout the idea that, that Jesus wants to have God be their shepherd and that he even is the good, everybody say good shepherd. Like good shepherd, like the word good doesn't mean like he was good at his job, like you know, there's a bad shepherd that he's kind of lazy and then there's the good ones. No, no, this was like the word that meant like inherently good, like, like of his nature and his character, like this is the good shepherd, the quality of his character, that's who he is. He is the good Shepherd. Now, here, here's what you need to know: is whenever the people heard this analogy of shepherd, this was not a new idea for them. As a matter of fact, they already fully understood who shepherds were and their relationship to the sheep. But even from a biblical example and a biblical analogy, they already knew that God was their shepherd. Because one of the most famous psalms that David ever wrote was what? Psalms 23. How many of you are familiar with that story? The, 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 yeah, the Psalms, Psalms 23. Let's read that together. I want to show you how they would have thought when Jesus says good shepherd and that he was relating to himself as God, that this is what they would have thought of when they thought of the good shepherd. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's read the whole thing real quick here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside Quiet while still waters, you know. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And remember, yay, you know, remember the yay is in there if it's King James style? Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many of you are familiar with that right there? I mean, that's old school. That's in movies. That's people quote that at funerals all the time. I mean, this is probably the most famous psalm in the entire book of 150 psalms. And so this is what they would have thought about. You remember these people grew up reading the Bible, memorizing scripture. Um, they would have been memorizing Psalms 23. Many of you knew it. As soon as I said it, you could start going in your head and remembering the words to it. This is the play. This is the analogy. This is what they would have begun to think about. Because if, if God is our shepherd and he's the good shepherd, we we know what the good shepherd does. Does that make sense? Like, let, let's, let's take it just line by line. The Bible says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I shall not lack. Like, like when they thought about the good shepherd, this is what you need to know about how you relate to God and what God wants to do in your life. Number one is this, is that the good shepherd provides. 
Like that, isn't that what he does? It says, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, or I shall not lack anything. Now here's, here's what you need to know. That's kind of a crazy statement. Because the guy that wrote it was a guy named David. And if you know anything about the life of David, uh, no one would ever describe his life as a life of ease or comfort or, or, or a life where like, you know what, he was always taken care of and everything just worked out great. If, if you know the story of David, this is what you need to know. Um, how, how, how dicey do I want to get? We'll keep it simple. Okay, his brothers hated him. His dad kind of rejected him. Um, the king eventually hated him, tried to have him assassinated. He goes on the run. The Philistines hate him. The, the army of Israel is trying to kill him. Like awful stuff. Like you would never say, yeah, my life is great. Everything works out wonderfully. God is always for me and everything works out just the way I want. No, it was the exact opposite. As a matter of fact, God had promised him to be the king. He went through a living hell and eventually became the king. And you would think, I did it. I got there. I'm, I'm the king. Even after the king, like he has these kids. They're all crazy. His family's hyper dysfunctional. His, his oldest son tries to start a coup and a revolt and, and runs him out of the kingdom. I mean, he's got the most crazy life. And I, my point is this, is you would never look at his life and be like, there's a guy. That all his provisions were always taken care of. So you got to think about, okay, what is David saying then? What is David saying that the Lord is my shepherd, I never lack for anything? Here's what I think what he was really saying is this. Is God, I'm never going through anything in life that you can't handle. I'm never experiencing anything through life that you're not going to help me get through and you're not going to help me take care of. Are you hearing me this morning? That I have no needs that you can't handle. Because there's a whole lot of need in David's life that nobody would, I mean, this is stuff you wouldn't wish upon your enemies, most of you. This is stuff that nobody would ever want to experience. But even in the midst of all the pain and suffering that he experienced in life, he's still looking at God saying, you know what, you're the best. And there's nothing that I go through, God, that you cannot handle. Now, how many of you are in that situation right now? Where you look around you and you look at your life and you look at your circumstances and you think, man, I don't know if I can handle this. I'm, I'm here to encourage you today. You can't. Go get him, you know. I'm telling you that there are things that God will be able to see you through. And there's nothing that you're going through that God can't handle. And if you'll begin to trust him and to look at him as your provider of all things, that you can trust your heavenly father, that there are things that he can take care of that are much beyond your ability to take care of. The Lord wants to be your provider. Let's keep reading here. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Look, look at this real quick here. He guides me in paths of righteousness. The good shepherd guides. Like this is what God wants to do in your life. God wants to be your guide. So that you're not left in this life trying to figure out which way do I go? Which path do I take? Which career do I choose? Who do I marry? Who do I, who do I, I want you to know like the Lord guides. Like that's the way you need to begin to see that, that many of you struggle and search trying to answer the question, God, what's your will for my life? God, what's your, some of you wake up every morning and think, God, what's your will for my life? I, I want you to know that the will of God is not what you search after and seek after. Actually, what you do is, is you just stay as close as you can to the shepherd and then he takes care of everything else. That literally what you don't do is you don't search for God's will. You just search for Jesus. And in doing so, the will of God begins to take shape in your life. God's meaning this, if you're taking notes, God's will is a byproduct of following Jesus. 
It's not the thing you're, you're not looking for God's will. You're looking for Jesus. And as you continue to search for Jesus, I promise you, I have never gotten up and thought, oh God, I don't know what to do. I've never had that. Now, I've always come to forks in the roads and decisions that I made. And they, but I'm telling you, all I did was search for Jesus. And in searching for Jesus, Jesus led me to the right answers, gave me the right wisdom, brought me down the right path. But it wasn't in like seeking out the will of God or seeking out the plan. Many of us, that's where our attention goes. Like we're so focused on the plan, we forget to look at who the author of the plan is. And it's the shepherd who guides. Let's keep going here. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and and your staff, they they comfort me. Now, here's something that changes. If you you look at the, the poem, if you look at Psalms 23, the first couple of verses, they're all about he and you and thee. Does that make sense? Like the good shepherd does this, the good shepherd does this. In this verse, everything changes. It shifts from talking about him in a descriptive sense, and then it changes the word to now It's you, and it's I. Did you notice that? Like, it went from descriptive to personal. Like, just so you know, like, this is the progression of how your faith should grow, isn't it? That eventually in your faith journey, you're like, I know I need God. I know God's real, and I need God in my life. And and in the beginning, God's kind of like that guy over there. And you know that he, Jesus died, or he, you know, he he rose again, or he he wants to forgive you. But it's a he, it's a thing, it's it's a descriptive thing. But the goal of your faith journey is to move beyond the descriptive and to move eventually into the, the personal. And look at what it says here. It says, your, ra- your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Meaning the good shepherd wants to comfort you. Like that's his role in your life. The shepherd brings comfort. Now I'm going to tell you how that works. Is that many times the reason why God seems so distant is because to you he's descriptive. Meaning like... If you grow up in church your whole life and you've heard lots of stories and you heard lots of sermons and then every, you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I know these things. Then God always stays in the realm of descriptive, meaning you know a lot of things about God. You don't actually know God. As a matter of fact, there was this, there was this funeral that took place and, and there was this famous person that showed up at the funeral and they thought, how cool would it be to have this, this, this really famous person get up and read, I won't tell you who it was, but read, read Psalms 23 and, you know, like famous person, that's, that's kind of cool. And then at the end, when we wrap it up, we'll have, basically there's this older gentleman who was like a grandparent and they were like, we'll have him read Psalms 23 to end the funeral. And so this famous person gets up and they read Psalms 23 and they're really elegant and they're, they're an actor and they do all this stuff and it sounds cool. And they move forward to the funeral. And then at the end of the funeral, the, the old man stands up. And he reads Psalms 23. And then by the end of him reading Psalms 23, everybody's just in tears, wore out. And they ask the question, what was the difference between the famous person reading Psalms 23 and the old man reading Psalms 23? They said the difference was this, is that that person knows Psalms 23, this guy knows the shepherd. And that is the unique difference in life. There's a difference between being able to quote a psalm and actually being able to personally relate to who the shepherd is. That's where you want to be in life because as you move in your faith journey, as you move from God being descriptive and being a thing and an it and a being and a thing, I'm telling you what, that's where comfort comes. Because in your greatest moments, you don't need this all-powerful being creator of the universe. What you need is a father and a shepherd. And both of those relational dynamics are completely personal. And that's where you find comfort. Yeah, I've never found comfort in knowing that God was the all-powerful creator of the universe. 
holds the universe in the palm of his hand. I mean, that's great. That's huge. What I found comfort in was knowing that God was close and that he loved me. That's where the good shepherd comforts. Let's keep reading. Um, it, so again, it moved from descriptive to personal. He says that, that you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare. It stays personal. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A lot of people will tell you that like this was kind of descriptive of the, the history of the land and the, uh, the, basically the geography, that there were these table plateaus and that that's where the shepherds would lead the sheep. So he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. That sounds really spiritual, but it wasn't. Basically, what they would do is this. I don't know if you know about sheep, but, but basically, the shepherd would regularly take oil and rub it on the head of the sheep. Now, there was a few different reasons why they would do that. Number one is this, is they would rub the oil on the sheep's head because of flies and, and gnats and bugs and, and, and pestilence. Because what would happen is this, and this is going to sound gross. Basically, what would happen is, is if you were out in the wilderness, sometimes bugs would crawl in through the ear and dig themselves down into the brain of the sheep. The sheep would drive itself crazy until literally it would, it would, it would even potentially commit suicide because of the nagging pain that he was going through. And so you had to protect these sheep from the flies. The other thing that you had to protect the sheep from was not, not just the flies, but from the scabs. So the reason why... Remember in the Bible it says that bring me an offering without, without spot or blemish? Remember that phrase, spot or this, was, this would be the spot or the blemish. See, what happened is this, is that they would get these scabs and then they would rub the disease because they would nuzzle each other. That's how sheep do. And they would spread it. And so they, you just had to keep oil. And then the third reason why they would do it is they would basically put oil on them for fighting. Because in the mating season, the, 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 the male sheep would start doing what? They start fighting and headbutting with each other. And so he would just put, so you would just smother these things with oil. This is, this is in essence saying the good shepherd heals. Like that's why the good shepherd is there. The good shepherd is to help you navigate through life, to keep away the enemy, to keep away the things that, that, because this is the way that sheep are. Sheep are incredibly skittish animals and they won't ever be still and be calm and rest until they're actually at peace. And so this is why the good shepherd would cover them with oil to keep away any disease, to keep them from spreading disease, even to like, hey, if you're, you're going to fight, go put the healing on that thing. And so, so that was the point of the good shepherd. He was trying to bring healing into your life. Last scripture is this, verse number six says, surely goodness and mercy or goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Um, interesting thought about sheep. Um, this sounds really good and spiritual. Um, one of the ways they might have interpreted this is that well taken care of sheep, actually like when they're underneath the proper care, uh, they produce the best manure. Um, so literally goodness follows them because um, it creates fertile soil and it destroys weeds. Um, Surely goodness and mercy follows them. Um, in, in, in my experience as a pastor, and this is something that's been going on lately with just a lot of different conversations that I have, is that I end up having these conversations with people. And their life has come to a crossroads. And in that crossroads of life, they usually end up having to do this or this, and both of them seem like bad choices. And ultimately, this is what sin does. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but sin basically takes you down a path that leaves you with two options and they both stink. 
If you don't believe it, go back and look at your life when you wandered away from Jesus and think about where that path eventually took you. It eventually took you down to where you're sitting there talking to a pastor, talking to a counselor, talking to your friends, drowning your sorrows in whatever alcohol you can get your hands on. And you're looking at your life and you're thinking, I can do this or I can do this. And both of them stink. That is, in essence, what living a life of sin or living a life apart from the good shepherd does. This is why when people don't follow Jesus, goodness and mercy don't follow their life. Stress follows their life. Anxiety follows their life. Fear follows their life. Pain follows their life. Lots of things follow your life. But what he was saying is this, is you follow, let's just put it on the screen, as you follow the shepherd, goodness follows me. That's the life that God wants you to have. That literally as you follow Jesus, goodness and mercy will follow you. And I, I believe it's so true. As a matter of fact, I'm so, I so believe it this. I were to tell you this. If you were in here today and you said, I don't even know that I believe the Jesus and the God thing. and the Listen, here, here's what I would tell you. Just following the ways of Jesus alone will incredibly improve your life. Even if you didn't even believe he was the son of God, I'm telling you, just, just following the ways of Jesus. If you just said, hey, I don't know that I believe that he was the son of God or anything special. I, I promise you, you start reading his life, reading his teachings, and following in his ways, your life will improve exponentially. Why? Because goodness and mercy will follow you as you follow him. It, it doesn't even require that you believe everything. That might come later down the road, and I believe that it will. And it's important, trust me. But I'm telling you, just the ways of God, just following the good shepherd, that alone will begin to produce goodness following your life. Last story, and I'll close with this. There is a famous sheep in the sheeping community. That's a thing, by the way. How many of you know that in any like niche and anything you get into, like there's a subculture? Like, like you think, think about any sport, any activity, anything. What you do is you start dabbling in that new activity, and then all of a sudden, every YouTube video leads to another YouTube video, and then every a web article leads to another. And you're like, oh my gosh, there's like a subculture community that loves this little thing, and they're so into it to the hundredth degree. There's a sheep community. What they did was there was this famous sheep, and his name was Shrek. I don't know who named him. This is not a made-up story. None of my stories are made. People ask me that sometimes. They're like, did you make that up? No, I didn't make that up. I don't get up and lie to you people. <laughs> Shrek, Shrek is a real... As a matter of fact, I'll show you a picture of him in just a second. So in Palestine, there was a, a, a group of sheep. And a lot of times they'll still tag the ears and tag them so that they can trace them and follow them or whatever. There was a sheep that they had that had run off. And it was one of those sheep that just liked to run off and they couldn't get him to stay with the herd and it ran off. And it actually found a cave and lived in a cave for six years alone. They called him a hermit sheep. Lived for six years. Now the reason why he became famous is because after six years they found the sheep. And when they found him, his wool, just the wool, weighed 60 pounds. Now normally when they shear sheep it weighs about 10 pounds of wool. This one was six times greater in size and weight. Will you throw this up? This is what, this is what Shrek looked like when they found him. I told you he was real. I wasn't making up Shrek. And the reason why he became famous is because they, they realized, like, we want to study into the sheep factor more. And we want to determine, will sheep's wool ever stop growing? Because, well, like, like, clearly, like, six years, this thing still, the sheep just slowly got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And, and what they did was, is they wanted to know, does the wool ever stop growing? And you know what the answer was? No. 
It doesn't. The wool will just kind of keep growing and growing and growing. And I guarantee you, if he went in a cave, if he was just out and about running around, he'd eventually gotten stuck somewhere and just died. But this is what he looked like. What they found in, in the genetics of a sheep, meaning by creation's design, the sheep absolutely is in need of a shepherd. That the sheep was never designed to live like a wild animal. It was never designed to live out roaming in the free. Do you know how long it took to shear this thing? Three days. No, I'm just kidding. They took him to a professional shear. It took him less than an hour. You want to see what it looked like? Next picture. That's him right there, lost in the wool. Like that's, and that's all, just, that's 60 pounds of wool. They said that you could make 10 Italian suits with this amount of wool right here. This is, this is what he looks like when it's all done. Next picture. Oh, hey, look, what's his name? I told you, I wasn't lying. My, my point in sharing this story with you and my point in telling you all this is simple, is I want you to know that you are a sheep, but you are dearly loved by the shepherd. He knows you by name. He calls you. What do you say? I'm the good shepherd. The, the, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And listen, go back to the picture, the very first picture, if you would, of crazy Shrek. This is what you are apart from Jesus. You're crazy. This is what we all are. We're heavy and weighed down. We're burdened. We're messy. We stink. We're alone. We got issues. And our lives require a shepherd. We are not designed to live alone in this life. We are designed to live with the good shepherd. Because I'm telling you what, it took, it took little Shrek six years to collect this much mess and filth and dirt and craziness. It took less than an hour for the good shepherd to take all that off of him and to set him free, to bring him back into the fold, to give him the love and the care that he needed. I'm telling you that this is what your heavenly father, your good shepherd wants to do in your life. That apart from him, you end up collecting all the burdens and worries and concerns and fears of this world. But underneath the care of the good shepherd, he, well, he guides, he provides, he comforts, he heals. And as you follow him, goodness and mercy will follow you. Let's pray this morning. So, Father, we pray that, God, we would begin to see you as our good shepherd. That, God, that would be the new dynamic and the new relationship. That we'd come to a place in our life where we realize, I'm lost. I don't belong in a cave. I don't belong on my own. I can't carry all the burdens of this world. I am in need of you, Jesus. And, Jesus, I want to begin to follow you. I want to recognize your voice. I want to be able to hear your voice and follow you. God, I want to stay close and underneath your care. I need you to help, to heal, to comfort, to guide. I am in absolute need of you. That is the revelation, the conclusion that we've all come to today. We need you. And so Jesus, in our heart, help us to always turn towards you to recognize God. We're not meant to live apart from you. We are meant to live with you, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Can we give a little big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.